faithwire.com. Held hostage at the airport by the Taliban. Six private planes chartered by Glenn Beck's Nazarene Fund are being held reportedly by the terrorist organization. And CBN speaks with a woman who escaped Afghanistan just in the nick of time. Today is Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. I am Dan Andros. We'll have this story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. We're here daily. We'd love to have you with us every single day. And joining me, as always, is Trey Goins-Phillips from faithwire.com with a look at what's coming up. What's going on, Trey? Hey, Dan. You know, I was, I don't know about you, but I was thrilled to have three days when I didn't think about the news. <laughs> um, but it's a nice break. For the, yeah, for the rest of the week, though, we're here for everybody. So yes. join us. Subscribe. Gird you know, your like loins. Subscribe. Gird your loins. Get ready <laughs> to buckle up and take on the news. But uh, it's yeah. always good to have a break to rest up and then get ready for the week ahead of crazy news. Yeah. For sure. All right. So speaking of the crazy news, so we're also <laughs> going to talk about uh, the premier of Victoria in Australia. Uh, he wants to lock unvaccinated <laughs> people out of the state's entire economy. Uh, so we'll have the details uh, there. Uh, health experts have a strange view on a baby's heartbeat and the Texas law that's getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, and Pope Francis is condemning euthanasia as, quote unquote, throwaway culture. So we'll have the details on that as well. All right, <clears throat> we will uh, we'll dive right into. I don't mean to laugh. I just Australia is just, whoo! What is going on yeah. in Australia, man? That is some crazy stuff. So, looking forward to that crazy story as well. Let's start off with story number one: Newsweek confirming that more than a hundred Americans, along with fifteen hundred refugees, were being blocked from flying out of Afghanistan, even though they were already on planes at the airport. These were six private planes that were reportedly chartered by Christian conservative media host Glenn Beck's Nazarene Fund and his Mercury One charity, according to their website. So here's three things you need to know, starting with number one, the details. The Taliban grounded the flights after a breakdown in negotiations with the U.S. State Department, according to an NGO official. U.S. Rep. Michael McCall from Texas told Fox News Sunday the flights are being held because the Taliban wants the U.S. to recognize them as Afghanistan's legitimate government. Meanwhile, the Taliban's accelerating its reign of terror in Afghanistan, killing and attacking women, even beating children. So, no, they're not the same Taliban they were 20 years ago. According to Afghans arriving here in America, they're actually worse. CBN's Tara Mergener spoke with an Afghan woman who escaped just in the nick of time with her children and had to blur her face out and kind of alter her voice because her family's still back at home. They weren't so fortunate. They didn't make it out in time before the flight stopped. So to protect it, you know, any reprisals happening, they had to um, sort of blur out their identity there. Uh, and so I'm going to play a part of Tara's report here. And the first woman you hear is an Afghan woman still trapped in Afghanistan. That's the soundbite they have there. And then, and then there's a clip from the woman who had escaped, made it here to America, and uh, was interviewed by Tara. So here's that clip. Among an unknown number of stranded Americans, tens of thousands of Afghans have no way out. I love my country, but I can't stay here. Including many who were helping the U.S. This woman who escaped at the last minute with her children asked us to hide her identity, fearing retaliation. They were just killing, they were just beating women, 
they are just between cats in front of my eyes. They are the same, the same Taliban that they were two years ago, even more worse. This time they are more, they are more experienced. They have lots of technology to find the people. People like her husband, father and siblings who worked alongside the U.S. government for years, left behind with no escape from the chaos and violence. So obviously tragic stuff there. Really compelling interview. You can see the whole report hmm. over on uh, CBNnews.com uh, as well as CBN News YouTube channel. So so number two on that story there. I mean, the uh, the facts on the ground here are they just don't seem to be adding up. You have a reporter from Vice News who was embedded with the Afghan special forces and said they were ready to fight and defend Kabul, but were told to stand down. Then immediately we see this shift and diplomatic route with the Taliban. Even the Trump administration was negotiating with the Taliban. And now we see the Biden administration and the mainstream media interviewing these Taliban spokespeople and, you know, coming up with deals and negotiating security deals at the airport with the Taliban. Why is the United States treating a terrorist organization this way? Why would we spend 20 years of our blood, sweat and tears just so we could quick leave and then sort of beg the Taliban for any scraps of human life we can possibly bargain for. You know, what are we missing here that that neither the media elite nor the government will tell us? I feel like there's there are a lot of questions that still remain to be answered. Yeah. And I know CBN News and Faithwire will be continuing to pursue uh, the answers to those questions and more. But um, just really a lot more questions to me than answers that are out there. And, and why does it matter here, number three? I mean, it matters because it sure seems like we're being lied to, at least from my perspective, or at least not told the full truth. And um, and the people who died, you know, fighting in Afghanistan deserve better. The Afghans deserve better. American soldiers deserve better. Christians in harm way, harm's way now deserve better. Um, that woman that Tara Merginer interviewed, you know, she was asked how she felt about America leaving, and she was quiet. And I think that kind of, she, she didn't really know what to say. She's like, uh, you know, she, she's very conflicted about it. So um, I think that kind of speaks volumes. And and we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I think it's really going to hit people, you know, when you, the frustration and the, you know, anger when you see these images again of what happened on 9-11 and then how it all ended 20 years later. Um, yeah. It's just quite the bookend. You know, I think some of it is, or a lot of this is, is the messaging that we've had here in the United States, like from the left, uh, because there's this assumption on the left that, or this belief that America is just so bad and we're just such yeah. an evil country. And so why would anybody want us to be in their country? So to the left, like when you leave, it's like, oh, of course we left. Like we needed to leave. There was no, there was no good happening with the United States being Afghan in Afghanistan. We could not bring anything good to that culture. Uh, or to their society, uh, when in reality the truth is a, a bit murkier than that. It wasn't. It's you know it's not quite black and white. I'm not saying the United States did everything perfectly. We certainly made mistakes, and those have been talked about over the years, uh, as it pertains to Afghanistan mm -hmm. and the war on terror and all of that. Um, but it's become apparent uh, for anybody who didn't know uh, that uh, the United States was at the same time doing a great deal of good uh, to to the people in in Afghanistan and helping them. Uh, just, I mean, literally to survive by keeping the Taliban and, and terror groups at bay. 
Um, so like I said, yes, there were mistakes made, um, but our presence there, I think, w- was really helpful uh, to these people. And now we kind of, it, the issue is not that we left, but it, again, it's how we left, uh, that we just pulled out completely uh, and the country just descended into chaos so quickly. So as believers, I think we just have a responsibility to pray and certainly be praying for um, the, the Nazarene fund as they're still trying to get people out. And that, you know, by some miracle of the United States government or, or somebody will, will work with uh, the Nazarene fund to get these people to safety. Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. All right. Story number two. Uh, so Daniel Andrews, the premier of the Australian state of Victoria said Friday that unvaccinated citizens will be locked out of the economy there. Uh, So here are three things you need to know, starting number one with the details. So uh, as we've talked about here, the situation in Australia seems to keep moving from bad to worse uh, and then worse yet. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Andrews is now saying that once the state reaches its 70 to 80 percent vaccinated rate, the government will move to lock out those who have not gotten vaccinated because officials there have decided that regardless of the reason, Uh, It's wrong to not be vaccinated against COVID-19. So here's audio of what the premier said to reporters Friday. To protect the health system, we've got everybody locked down. We're going to move to a situation where to protect the health system, we're going to lock out people who are not vaccinated and can be. If you're making the choice not to get vaccinated, then you're making the wrong choice. You're making the wrong choice. And for safety's sake, and for the back to that point about how much work our nurses have to do, as this becomes absolutely a pandemic of the unvaccinated and we open everything up, it's not going to be safe for people who are not vaccinated to be roaming around the place spreading the virus. That's what they'll be, that's what they'll be doing. So there's every reason, every reason uh, to get vaccinated. And there are appointments available and there'll be even more appointments available throughout September, October, November. Let's get to those thresholds as fast as we possibly can. But yes, there's going to be a vaccinated uh, economy and you get to participate that you get to participate in that if you are vaccinated. Now that's not right now because of course there's many more people who want to get vaccinated than we actually can get through the system. But we're going to get to a point where everybody who can get vaccinated will have been offered the chance to do so. And we are not going to have a situation, well at least not in Victoria, where we lock the whole place down to protect people who won't protect themselves. These go and get vaccinated. So, you know, this just an instance of the government the government knows best and any decision that that goes against the government is just wrong. It's yeah. not like there's you know, it's just black and white. It is just it's wrong to do or to think what the government doesn't want you to do. It, it's I mean, I hate to interrupt here, Trey. It just sounds like a parody. I mean, it, it sounds yeah. like something you'd hear on um it's wild. You know, community or something like that. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. It's crazy. So, absolutely. So, number two here, Victoria isn't the only state in Australia uh, moving away from freedom. Uh, (laughs) South Australia announced last week that it's testing a new app, and you talked about this, Dan, uh, to help the government track residents to make sure that they're obeying quarantine orders. Uh, So, the Atlantic even called the app as Orwellian as any in the free world. And here's how that works in case you, you don't remember. The government can randomly contact anyone via the app uh, if they're in to, to check to make sure that they're in their approved quarantine location if they've tested positive for COVID or been exposed to it. Uh, users then have 15 minutes to take a photo of their face. If they fail to do that and reply, uh, a police officer will be dispatched to check on, on the person and make sure they're in their uh, approved government location. 
Uh, so pretty creepy stuff uh, going on there in Australia. So number three, why does it matter? Like, I think we've really just kind of gone mad with this. Uh, so many people, it seems, are completely comfortable giving up their freedom, regardless of how restrictive society becomes, if it means they're safe. And I, I put that in air quotes because I'm increasingly <laughs> unsure, Dan, if we really understand what safety is. Yeah. Uh, because, like, how safe are we if we're kept in the dark and told only to trust one source, which would be the government and the health officials, you know, the Fauci's of the world, uh, and are increasingly discouraged from challenging any sort of status quo? I mean, throughout his entire ministry, Jesus challenges the status quo. That's That literally was his ministry. He's pushing back against the religious leaders of his day, not as some radical, uh, but to transform culture. And it ended up being radical, but, but it, he wasn't just doing it for some sort of political victory. Uh, that was his entire ministry was to upend a lot of uh, you know, the status quo and a lot of the, the religious teachings of the day to fulfill the law. Uh, so, you know, I, I just wonder, like, why is it wrong to push back against some of the status quo and this stuff? Because then we end up with just groupthink. And I don't know how that's safe or good for anybody. No, and, and uh, it just seems like regardless of what the issue is or where you stand on vaccines, if you're not recoiling at the things that politicians are saying right now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's first they came, you know, and I didn't say anything. Then they came and I didn't say anything. Pick your category. Because right, uh, right now, I mean, like, you've got to be seeing it that way. You know, first they came for the unvaccinated. I didn't say anything because I wasn't, I was vaccinated. You know, what's to stop them from doing other things now if they determine? It's like you just can't cede this ground to government. Like, okay, we'll let you tell us all the things we have to do. <laughs> yeah, I just don't well, see how people can't see that. I just see, I have these conversations with people and I see people on social media and I understand like the wanting to push back against the outrage machine. I, I right, totally right. get that. Um, but it, it's frustrating to see and kind of disheartening to see so many people saying, well, this isn't that bad and that's not that bad. And then this isn't that bad, but then one day we're going to wake up and it's going to be that bad <laughs> if yeah. we don't start you know, talking about it. Uh, and uh, that's, that's not to say that we need to be outraged and going crazy about every little thing, uh, but we certainly need to be calling some of this stuff out. And what's happening in Australia is just beyond the pale. Yeah. Like it's not even, it's nowhere close to reasonable. Like they're not even in the same world anymore. No, no, absolutely not even close. And, and yeah, if people just don't, if we just allow this, I mean, they are absolutely going to apply it to uh, other things and um climate change here we come yeah and, and trudeau, <laughs> justin trudeau has already said that he said it out loud what we should play that clip another time maybe of uh, this week so all yeah. right let's uh let's uh, head on over to story number three here and the texas uh abortion law uh, or heartbeat law however you want to describe it is getting a lot of attention and npr doesn't want you to believe your own eyes <laughs> Uh, here, here are three things that you need to know, starting with number one, the details. And um, uh, in response to the Texas heartbeat bill, NPR, NPR ran this article. It said, the Texas abortion ban hinges on, quote unquote, fetal heartbeat. Doctors call that misleading. Now, here we go again. This is um, something we've harped on, Trey, with fact checkers. So just a yeah. PSA here. When a, when a supposed fact check or piece of journalism starts out with, well, it's misleading. 99% of the time, that is just code for, here's our political spin on the issue, because uh, we don't like the way it's being spun right now. Uh, and so 
Here's what they say. They write, the new law defines fetal heartbeat as, quote, cardiac activity or the steady and repetitive rhythmic contraction of the fetal heart uh, within the uh, gest- uh, gest- gestational uh, sac and claims that a pregnant woman could use that signal to, ter- to determine, quote, the likelihood of her unborn child surviving to full-term birth. But the medical-sounding term fetal heartbeat is being used in this new law and others like it in a meaning in a misleading way, says... Physicians who specialize in reproductive health. Okay, so now buckle up because the spin here may actually be dangerous to your health. You might get spun around and so dizzy that you fall down and hurt yourself. So be careful. Um, here, here we go. When I use a stethoscope to listen to an adult patient's heart, the sound that I'm hearing is caused by the opening and closing of the cardiac valves. This is Dr. Nisha Verma, an OBGYN who specializes in abortion care. And works at the blah, 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 blah. The sound generated by an ultrasound in very early pregnancy is quite different, she says. At six weeks gestation, gestation, those valves don't exist. The flickering that we see on the ultrasound that early in development of the pregnancy is actually electrical activity. And the sound that you hear is actually manufactured by the sound machine. So so let me oh pause. Let me, let me pause here. A couple things here. Specializes in abortion care. That is spin. That's part of the spin that we're talking about here. Translation, she kills unborn human beings for a living. Abortion care, end quote, is spin. Um, So then electrical activity and flickering. I mean, look, they can try to distract all they want, but that is actually a heart that is growing inside a little child. And it's funny how NPR didn't ask this doctor if, that was a human being just at an earlier stage of development. No, they just argue that at six weeks, you don't have a fully formed human heart. But it's still a human heart. It's just still growing. And, well, can I? Yeah, go ahead. Go. I have to say, I mean, like, I, if this doctor hadn't told me that, I, I wouldn't know that when I get hooked up to an EKG machine, my heart doesn't actually make that little. Oh, deep, 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 deep. that's, that's not heart your heart noise. Oh, I, oh, man. I'm learning all kinds of new things today. <laughs> oh, man. It's just, look, I mean, the the fact that they can deny that it's a human in development. I mean, these are just different right. stages of human development. It shouldn't matter what stage it's at. It's still human development. It's a human. Um, and so they're trying to, like, mince words and parse these things down and use things like electrical activity to try to make it not human. But none of those things they've said has made the child in the womb any less human. They're just right. earlier stage of development. That's it. Period. End of story. So uh, observation number two, I mean, that, that's why the focus on terms like electro- electrical activity, flickering, etc. It's all, it's all just lin- linguistic tricks designed to distract and um, the, the abortion doctor there, they added later in the article, what we're really detecting is a grouping of cells that are initiating some electrical activity. She explains, in no way is this detecting a functioning cardiovascular system or a functional heart. So so apparently, if if I mean, just put on your thinking hats for a minute, people. Is that the standard now that we're going for on life? First of all, again, using the electrical activity and then a grouping of cells. I mean, 
they they they'll do anything to describe it other as than a person like those cells that are that's a person growing that's not just a random group of cells sometimes they grow into a tree sometimes they grow into a cyst sometimes <laughs> they get, it's a person every time um but yeah. I, i'm i'm hoping trey that that's not the standard now that if you don't have a functional cardiovascular system or a functional heart then we can kill people because I didn't have a properly functioning heart up until my heart surgery a couple years ago. So I'm glad it wasn't open season on my life because I had a heart defect. <laughs> um, but I mean, look, in all of this Olympic level spinning, there, there's no talk of what's actually growing. And that's that's the convenient yeah. fact that they avoid. And um, so, of course, it's not the same as an adult. I mean, that's obvious. Anybody with a brain can can figure that one out. But it's done to dehumanize the unborn, and then they can do whatever they want with it. So, uh, so number three, why does it matter? Obviously, it matters because life in the womb matters. I mean, Psalm one thirty nine says God's knitting us in our mother's wombs. I mean, there's a million other verses about um, God know, knew us in the womb, knows us in the womb, formed us in yeah. the womb. And in Luke, we see John the Baptist leap for joy in the womb at Mary's arrival and news of pregnancy with uh, with Jesus. She was pregnant with Jesus, so it's not out of sight, out of mind. That's a unique individual with a unique DNA who has a right to exist. And so, you know, it's worth calling out people when they try to dehumanize life in the womb at its earliest stages. And we only play this semantic game, like this linguistic game that you're talking about. We only yeah. play it with with uh, unborn babies. Yeah. Like we don't play it with people who have, have been born, who are no longer in the womb, like you said. <laughs> right. I mean, thankfully, we don't play it for people right. who, I mean, because yeah. I've got people in my family who have heart disease, you know, right. does that mean like, like you, are they, are they not viable? So they should, we should let, 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 let them go. Um, should I change so, my, and, should I change my Twitter handle to clump of cells, Dan Andros? Is that what I should yeah. be? <laughs> right. And it's like, okay. I'm still a clump of, of cells. Technically, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, this my cells are still all clumped they just they've gotten to be a bigger clump yeah uh, over the years um and it reminds me of the 2017 story i think it was uh where in in iceland they there were reports uh from several news outlets i think cbs was the main one uh, saying that you know white down syndrome in iceland has just disappeared uh, and then you read the story and it's like oh Sadly, I mean, it's a tragic story. Yeah. It's, it's there. They started doing testing, uh, prenatal testing, uh, and and they've convinced the doctors there, the medical community have co- have convinced people to just almost one hundred percent of the time uh, abort a child if the prenatal test showed that they would likely have Down syndrome. So they didn't eliminate Down syndrome. They just started. <laughs> eliminating the children who right. had it. They started just killing the babies who had Down syndrome or who would likely have Down syndrome. Uh, and it just, it, it's so heartbreaking to think that we're one, that we're just killing human life, yeah. but two, that we're playing God, like, like that God's incapable of curing somebody. One, we know that he can miraculously cure people. Uh, we've seen it happen. We read about it throughout scripture. It's happened in our modern day too. Uh, and then also that, it, that, that life has any less value if they do end up having Down syndrome. It's just as much a, a human being created in the image of God, and they have just as much value in God's eyes, and we should see them with just as much value as God does. Yeah, uh, you're, you're spot on. Absolutely spot on. And um, we'll just keep, we got to keep praying on that one because people's eyes are, for sure, they're blinded. Yeah, for sure. All right, story number four. Uh, So as the debate over the legalization of euthanasia continues throughout Europe and uh, really throughout the globe, uh, Pope Francis is is condemning the practice as a result of throwaway culture. Uh, So here are three things you need to know, starting number one with the details. 
So he said, what is deemed useless is discarded. He said that in an interview with Pope Francis, said that in an interview with a radio station owned by the Spanish Bishops Conference. Uh, not all of them, but of course, in the collective subconscious of the throwaway culture, the old, the terminally ill, and the unwanted children too, they are returned to the sender before they are born. This throwaway culture has marked us. It marks the young and the old. It has a strong influence on one of the tragedies of today's European culture. Uh, so he was talking about what what you know, how do we end up in a culture that, that is even okay with the idea of potentially legalizing euthanasia? And he said, because we no longer value human beings. Uh, so in mid-March, lawmakers in Spain voted to become the sixth country in the world and the fourth in Europe to allow physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia for patients that are suffering with incurable diseases as well as those dealing with unbearable permanent conditions. The health minister, Carolina Darius, there said at the time that the law's passage was a major step towards the recognition of human rights. I mean, how how blinded that statement is. Uh, <laughs> she argued that the, le- that the legislation meant that the country is heading towards a more humane and fair society. That was according to ABC News. Uh, so euthanasia is either legal or allowable uh, by the courts in Spain, Belgium, Canada, Luxembourg, Colombia, and the Netherlands, and there's obviously been plenty of debate here in the United States with several states you know, having different allowances depending on where you are. Uh, as of late August, more than 750,000 Italians had signed a petition to decriminalize euthanasia, which was enough to trigger a referendum vote during the next round of national elections. Uh, so number two, you know, one of the most outspoken Christian opponents uh, of the practice of, of euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide is Johnny Erickson Tata, She's a disability rights advocate that was left entirely paralyzed after a 1967 driving accident. And she said at the time that she remembers just wanting to end it all is what she said. She wanted her life to be over. Uh, She said that she even begged her high school friends uh, for them to bring uh, their parents drugs and pills over to her and, you know, hoping to create some sort of some sort of cocktail that would be an overdose. Uh, but none of them ever listened to her. And she said, I remember shaking her head so rad- like rapidly, trying to, to snap her neck mm-hmm. uh, in hopes that she would die. This was before Christ kind of transformed her life. And she said, thankfully, she was unsuccessful because she's now in a wheelchair and has an, you know, a flourishing life. And she said, I'm, I'm grateful uh, that God spared me from myself um, and and because I, I now live a life that's content because of Christ. And speaking about... Um, uh, uh, euthanasia. She said, people are convinced they have a right to arrange the timing of their own death. Do we want to help people die a good death? Then if intractable pain is the issue, let's pour more research dollars into better better pain management. If fear is the issue, let's surround people with true spiritual community. Most of all, we can help terminally ill people understand what faces them uh, on the other side of their tombstone. Jesus is the only one who conquered the grave and opened the path to eternal life. How awful if people choose three grams of a drug in their veins only to face a Christless eternity. Mm. Uh, So number three, why does it matter? Like as Christians, we're supposed to live uh, with a pro-life ethic. We talk about that frequently here, Uh, but that's not just about abortion. Uh, That's the beginning of life throughout life. And even at the end of life, like the Pope was talking about, like Johnny Tata was talking about, we shouldn't try to be, you know, playing God. Because like I said in the last story, one, God is capable of acting miraculously. Uh, And two, our life is just as valuable regardless of what we're going through. Uh, So as a Christian community, we should just come alongside those who are suffering and try to do what we can to make their life better. 
but expose them to the gospel because that's the only thing that's going to bring any sort of lasting joy and lasting uh, healing to them. It, it's it's not physician-assisted suicide yeah. uh, or euthanasia. Uh, yeah. That's just not our role to play. No, and, and I think uh, it's interesting that we talked about abortion in the story before because— um, it, you know, a lot of those arguments, when you, if you start to believe those arguments that, um, <laughs> that our lives are, because you hear them all the time when it comes to abortion, it's, well, uh, it's going to be difficult life and foster care. And it's going to be, uh, you know, well, I was, I was raped and it's going to be a tough memory for me. And, um, it, so many of these arguments, um, you can apply to older people that are at the end of life. Right. Not healthy ones. But um, but I think what can happen is when you start putting a value on life, that's something other than God and something other than Christ and the sacrifice on the cross and our and our worth and our values, it pertains to that. Then you can leave yourself open to this sort of thinking, because, well, you know, if your value is derived from one of those other indicators, well, then once that goes away, then uh what possible reason do you have to live for? But when you're living to glorify God, honor God, point people to God throughout your circumstances, whether good or bad, um, yeah. you can use those things and you can have joy in those trials, but you can't when you don't have it. Yeah. And I've also heard in other interviews, Johnny Erickson Tata talking about uh, we need to have a better understanding of pain, a better theology of pain, mm. because she said so often it's just kind of this hedonistic thing, like, well, the, the only purpose in life is is to eliminate as much pain in right. life and, and to increase my joy. And she said, maybe like if you read scripture, you see so many instances where God uses pain to speak to people. Yeah. I think it's C.S. Lewis who said that God shouts to us in our pain. Um, so she said that, that, that there are ways that we can rethink pain as maybe this is God trying to speak to me, or maybe God can speak through this pain instead of just trying to numb it all, um, you know, learn maybe to, to meet God in the midst of it. Yeah. And you look at, I was just thinking of like the woman of the well and her life was marked with pain and divorce and, you know, being shunned from society. And then, you know, Christ ends up, you know, meeting her at that spot. And then she's the one that has to go and begin to unleash Christ's ministry. That's the vessel that he uses there. And yeah. it's because he's, he's able to identify her pain and the things she went through. And it's, she's so unlikely that that's precisely why the message spreads and um and so anyway you never know how god's going to use our circumstances but that is all the time we have for today i talked over the outro god bless we'll see you back here tomorrow <laughs>